We are all very broken. We are all very broken. And uh, we live in a world that doesn't want to focus on that. Romans 3.23, I've told it to you every single week. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room, especially the guy standing on the stage, is one of the alls. We are. We're an all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to admit we're very broken. But listen, it's not popular at all today. I've been doing a lot of studying about uh, church and church movements and church uh, things that are happening in church. I've been studying how churches are, are developing and training people and what the dominant teachings are. I've been studying the culture, of course. You guys hear me talk about that quite a bit. Um, but here's, here's a line from the culture that's slowly creeping into church world, to healthy churches, and it's going to destroy healthy churches. It is. Um, I, I was reading an article the other day that Probably almost 80,000 churches, evangelical, that's God-preaching Christ on the cross-preaching churches, they're probably going to close this year. 80,000 in America. You know how much light that is that's going to go away? That's a ton of light going out. 80,000. But here's, here's the thing. There's a line that mankind is good. There's a lot of good in man. And there's a lot of good in everyone. We just need to give them some time to learn about what his good is. So parents aren't aren't supposed to be guiding children or helping children because that, that child was born with this innate goodness and he's going to be he's going to be turned into whatever he's supposed to be and he's going to be good because mankind is basically good. That is as wrong as rain. I mean, lots of rain and lots and lots of bad rain and lightning and thunder and tornadoes. That's wrong. The nature of man itself, man himself, the nature of every little wonderful child that was sitting here for Cody and the babies that aren't even aware their their nature's this way yet, their nature is selfish and sinful. Guaranteed. That's not a very popular line, by the way. You do not fill up churches. You don't get coliseums full of people hearing a message that says, hey, none of y'all are any good. You're all bad. But that's the truth. And the truth is we've got to settle in that. The nature of man is to be power hungry. The nature of man is to be filled is filled with sinful and lustful and dangerous and evil thoughts. Only people who are willing to really look in, at themselves honestly and admit that can ultimately get help. Because it says this in John chapter 8 verse 32. It says, um, the tr if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Okay? Here's the truth. Every one of us is very, very sinful. And now I would like to say, and I'll even use this line sometimes. I catch myself kind of giggling inside myself when I'm talking to, to people I'm trying to invite to church or get to know our church. We, we've got some people we're ministering to. Josh and I minister to a lady uh, we meet pretty regular with at lunch, and we just want her to eventually connect with us. And uh, But it's, it's interesting when I say this, I say, man, there's a lot of good people going to my church. And I go, well, I'm not really, not really good people because there's no good people. There's just not. Everybody's simple. There's this verse in Mark chapter 7. And, and I want you to hear this because it's really, really strong. And I'm going to read it like I read it to myself. Um, Jesus was saying, That which proceeds out of the heart of Stan is what defiles Stan. Actually says the man. So it's all of y'all. But you can put your own personal name in there. It's that which proceeds out of him that defiles him. If Jesus did open heart surgery on me, or Jay, or Mike, or Marie, or Amanda... Miss Barbara or Andy, if Jesus did open heart surgery on us, here's what he sees when he looks at our heart. Listen to what's inside my heart. 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, and pride and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. I'm loaded with that stuff. Loaded. Now I was saved in the second grade at Greystone Christian School. You know, my big, you know, crime back then was, you know, probably eating too much chocolate or glue, whatever I was doing wrong. And uh, so when I look back on my life, I don't have this huge drug history or this huge rebellion history. I went to this church as a teenager and was, and was really guided by this church to stay out of the scene, the, the, the bad scenes of my teenage years in the 70s. I, I just stayed away from all that because this church guided me through all that, which is awesome, by the way. Right? So I can look at myself and go, hey, I'm pretty good. But then in the dark by myself, you know, when it's just me and God, when something's not going right or when somebody hurts me, and I mean hurts me, hurts me, that happens pretty regular if you're a pastor. It's kind of just put on your calendar, you know, monthly. Somebody's going to do something hurt you. Not, not complaining, just saying that's reality. So when something goes wrong against me, by myself, not out loud, not with you, but by myself, I just want to strangle them. Just strangle them. I mean, I can give you names. I can name names, right? Just strangle them, right? That's what I want to do. Does that sound good? You're going, hey, how did that guy get to preach? He, he got that stuff in him. He shouldn't be up there. Y'all are welcome to come up because everybody in here has got that whole list in your heart. When Jesus looks at your heart, that's who we are. We are messed up. And we're broken. Every single one of us is broken. Completely broken. And we have to have help to fix that. But we, we also studied this deal. And you have to be willing to admit that brokenness. Romans 5, verse 8 says, God committed his love toward us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the culture we live in doesn't want to admit that there are sinners. They want to say everybody's good and going to get better. No, 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 no. Not going to happen. When Kim and I were talking this week, we were saying, you know, a lot of people say this sentence to us as pastors, uh, especially in America, we hear this a lot. You know, only we've not taken prayer out of public schools. Only we've not taken prayer out of public schools. You know, then we'd be okay. Well, not really. Because everybody's still sinful. Let me tell you where, where I think we went way wrong. Is when we started allowing colleges and schools to train up all of our children. I was taught in this myself as a young child. Had to come to Northside as a teenager to get my head put back on straight. But I was taught that I was not a product of a brilliant, beautiful creator who loved me and who fashioned me in my mother's womb and who who created me for his glory and for his good and for my goodness as well. I wasn't taught that. I was taught in, in school. When I went from the Christian school to a, a private school, I was taught that I was just an accident, a cosmic accident, and everybody's a cosmic accident. We're just a bunch of amoebas that grew up to be people. And you don't have a real life or a real soul or a real goodness. You don't have really anything that amounts to anything unless you just choose to become that. But you don't have to respect people and love them because they're just dirt. They're really not important at all. And I was taught all those things that, that devalue humankind rather than raise it to this beautiful creation that God created us. And I think that's where our, our whole culture has gone. You should watch, you watch people go into, go into schools with guns, uh, go into businesses with guns and just mow people down because there's no value in it to them. 
Those people don't mean anything. But for us as Christians, it's overwhelming. We're like, can't believe you would do that. Why don't you go to a school and shoot children? Yeah, children. Why would you do that? Because there's no value. And I'm saying our, our, we got way off track. And, and you're going to, I believe every good church should be saying all the time, we're broken. Every person is broken. And we have to have Jesus. You have to admit your brokenness and ask for help from God. You have to seek Him, the Bible says, with all your heart. All of this uh, next series in January is going to be about seeking God and, and learning as Christians how to follow Him so that we're there's more to our life and we're better off. So Romans 5, we talk about this. God commended His love. That word means he, His love came and stood beside us. Jesus physically came and stood beside a bunch of people. Stood beside a leper. We told that story. He stood beside the Samaritan woman at the well who was very sinful and immoral and arrogant and bigoted and just a rude, rude woman. He stood right beside her and loved her into the kingdom. He stood beside the immoral woman in, in uh, John chapter 8 that was caught in the act of adultery. He stood right beside her and set her free from her own death sins because he was willing to take the sins of her on himself. So it's just a we've learned that God commended his love for us to help us. The truth is, help's not very far away. It's not hard to receive. Um, God promises help for those who would seek Him. So I'm going to give you two pictures today, two phases of that promise. By the way, we saw last week where G God, Jesus stood next to Zechariah in the Old Testament, next to, next to Joshua, the high priest, and helped him while his robes were covered in, in mud. We saw that. But there's some help for you today, and I want you to go to John chapter 10 with me, and just follow along, a passage that's taught, mistaught many, many times. A lot of people believe, if you read this, chapter 10, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter into the door, uh, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber, for he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, to him the doorkeeper opens... And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And then Jesus goes on to say in this passage, I am the good shepherd. And so a lot of people teach that the sheep fold. In John chapter 10, there's this fold, which is a, a pen for sheep that has just one entrance. It's just a pile of rocks, really, is all it is. It's just a little high enough for sheep not to want to try to hurdle. It doesn't have to be very high, because they're not very coordinated in that regular sheep, aren't And so... So they build a little sheep pen, just take the size of this stage, and we just close up one side of this and leave one opening over here. Then we put the shepherd would sleep at that door. He would stay at the one little opening of the fold so that nothing can go in and out. And now all the shepherds in the land, in that area, in that region would go, hey, and I have been out in the field for a month now. I haven't been home. I'd love to go see my family. Would you keep my sheep tonight and you watch the door? And then a couple nights later, I'll come relieve you and, and I'll watch the door and you can be with your family. And they would do that. They would let three or four groups of sheep that belong to different shepherds end up in this fold together. And a lot of people teach that the fold where Jesus is the shepherd, because he says you can't go in and out without me. They teach that it's heaven. It's heaven. Here's the problem. If you're just doing good Bible study methods, verse 1, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. Actually calls them wolves later on. So, so if you take the fold to be heaven, 
Now you've got thieves and robbers climbing into heaven without permission of the shepherd. Well, that can't happen if you're going to use the analogy that it's heaven. Because it's not heaven. It's not heaven. The fold is Israel. And Jesus says there's some people that have snuck into the family of Israel that are sheeps and wolves. They're stealing truth from you. They're stealing your life away by cramming law down your throat. Law that you can never live up to and you won't ever receive until you leave here with me, the good shepherd. Until you leave here with me and get grace, you can't have You're going to stay stuck with these thieves and these wolves and your life's going to be a mess. And he actually talks about going out. He says, I, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. That's what the shepherds would do. They would stand at the gate when it was morning time and they could go out and graze their sheep. They would, they would individual sheep know their own master. They would make a sound or whip. the ones in Romania would make a whistle sound or sometimes they'd just bang a stick on a rock. However they bang that stick, every sheep that belonged to that shepherd would raise their head. The rest of them just keep eating. But those would raise their head like, oh, we're leaving. And off they'd go. So here's Jesus saying, I'm calling my people, calling you out of the fold. And he tells later in the chapter, he says, there's a whole other fold to Israel. He's talking to Israel. He says, there's a whole other fold you don't know anything about. That would be us, the Gentiles. It would be everybody sitting in this room that's not Jewish. It's all of us. He's called all of us. He says, i got a whole other group of sheep nobody knows anything about. I'm going to call them and the two of us. Two folds are going to become one under me. And they're going to follow me. You're going to hear that word a lot coming up in January. They're going to follow me. So here's what Jesus is teaching. Now look at John 10 verse, 10, verse 9 and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. That's with Jesus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it. Say the word. Say it again. It's abundantly. That's how we're going to have life. That's not eternal life. That's today's life. The promise, the temporal promise that we have for today, phase one of Jesus fixing everything. We've been talking about Jesus fixes everything broken. You know what phase one is? Here on earth, your life can be abundant. Abundant. Not a word we use a lot. When people go, hey, how's your day? Well, it's abundant. You don't know that, all right? You know, how, how'd your week go? How'd Christmas go? It was abundant. But here, let me tell you how to know if you actually had an abundant Christmas. Okay? It's found in Romans chapter 14. And in Romans 14, the abundant life looks like this. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. King God is not eating and drinking, it's righteousness and joy. Romans 14, crazy passage where the, the people in, in uh, the book of Romans were uh, fighting over what food you can eat and can't eat as Christians and all that. It's a gray area. Paul's saying, hey, stop it. Just go back to the relationship you have with Jesus. If you're offending somebody, you're messing up. Stop offending people with your gray area uh, and have freedom to, to have grace in all this. It's a great chapter about grace. But in the middle of all that, he says, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. And the kingdom of God, Jesus says in our hearts, Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's joy and hope and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's joy and hope and peace in, in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
So it's right living. That's what righteousness is. The peace of God, Romans 5, we've talked about that at length. God gives us peace with him. Uh, We stand in this place of grace and we have peace with God. John 14, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit when I leave here. The disciples, us. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you will have my peace. Not as the world gives. Not the world peace. I'm going to give you a special peace that's just for me. Right? And then there's this this, uh, joy promised in John 15. What does he promise us about joy? I'm glad you asked. He says that uh, he will give us joy. How about, uh, what does joy help us do? Uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And how much strength is it? Hebrews 12 says it's enough strength to endure the cross. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Right? So it's enough strength to endure the cross. How bad was the cross for Jesus? Well, he was 1,000% innocent. He'd never done anything wrong. And he took on all the sins of all the world. All the sins of all mankind fell on him on that day. And his own heavenly Father, who had never looked away from him, turned away from him. And darkness fell upon the earth. And Jesus had to die and go to a grave, all beaten and and torn up, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. That's how bad it was. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. I love that phrase. He's the writer and finisher of my faith. Who for the joy set before him was able to endure the cross. He rose three days later. He endured the cross with joy. So how do I get this joy? Well, I'm glad you asked. You get this joy in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, John 15, verse 9 and 10, uh, that joy comes through obedience. If you abide in me and keep my commandments as I have kept my Father's commandments, he says, I will give you my joy. I will, I will give you my joy if you will abide, which means obey, so if you're obedient, that's the followers of Christ, just like the guys that had to follow him out of the sheepfold. If you're a follower of Christ, you get his joy, you get his peace, and you get his righteousness. It's all given to you as a gift. And it is the abundant life. Following Jesus, trusting in him as your Savior, and following him is how you get abundant life here on earth. That's how you get it. If your life's not abundant yet, if you didn't have an abundant Christmas filled with right living and peace in your heart and joy of Jesus, you just need to turn back and make sure you and Jesus are connected properly. That you're actually following him. Not that you just know about him and you can tell stories about him or you can tell the children some Bible stories about Jesus. It's not a head knowledge. It's a lifestyle that says I have a relationship with him. He's my shepherd. He's my leader. And where he leads, I will follow him. I will follow him. When you do that, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're experiencing the abundant life here on earth. It's the promise of an earthly abundant life. Then there's this really cool promise of eternal life. Eternal life. And and I want you to just focus with me for a second on a couple of verses. John 14, verse 2. One of the sweetest passages in all the Bible as far as relationships go. I picture Jesus almost kneeling down, uh, almost like an engagement proposal to mankind. He's kneeling down in front of me and he says, Stand in my Father's house, there's many dwelling places. Uh, If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. How many of y'all think Jesus is an amazing carpenter? How many would you say he's probably the most amazing carpenter you've ever met? Right? I mean, he's probably phenomenal at that stuff, I would think. He's going to go prepare a home for me. And I will come again and receive you to myself. I 
love this phrase, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants me to be with him in that place he prepared forever. He promises to come get us and take us to that place. Now here's what I want to do. I want somebody out here in the audience, somebody in the congregation, tell me about your hometown. How many of you, how many of you love the hometown you're born in? Even if it's here, if you love your hometown, it means like the coolest little place. Right? Good. Where were you born, Ms. Barbara? Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. I did not know that. I learned something just like that. Can you tell me something really cool about Jackson, Mississippi when you were living there? Anything. You were there. That made it really special. That made it really, really, really special. I can imagine it was really special while you were there. Right? Somebody else. Amanda, where were you born? Enterprise. I love Enterprise. I have a good friend. I was on the phone this week with a good friend living in Enterprise. Good pastor friend out there. Enterprise. Tell me something cool about Enterprise. Don't talk about that snake stuff, y'all. No, that's not what does the snake for you. It is a bow eagle. That's right. The bow eagle save the city in Enterprise. Right? Somebody else, where are you from? Tell me where you're from. Tell me about your hometown. Come on. Somebody else, be brave. Fairfield, California. You know anything about Fairfield, California? your hometown, where you're born, right? How many of you from Mobile? Right? Anybody love Mobile? I love Mobile. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love Mobile. I was born and raised here. Right? I was born in Crack. Me and my brother were born in Crack. Lived in Crack for the longest time. Set both through Rice Street. Right down from the from the uh, boys club, boys and girls club right there. Listen, this is my temporary home. And Crack Sims and Westmobile where I live. That's my temporary home. You know where my permanent home is? If, if Jesus could give me a physical passport, it would not say Mobile, Alabama. My physical passport says I'm from Mobile, Alabama. I traveled all over the world with that passport. Been to, been to Uganda with my passport. Okay? Been, been to Romania with my passport. Been to Albania. No, I didn't go to Albania. You went to Albania. I've been, I've been all over with that. Been to Poland and all kinds of places. And it says I'm from Mobile, but I'm really not from Mobile. Because Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior. My citizenship is in heaven, not here on earth. That's where my citizenship is. That's my hometown. That's my hometown. How many of you, how many of you have a hometown that's not here? in heaven. If you trusted Christ, that's your hometown. So here's a good question. What can you tell me about your hometown? So you should you should love your hometown. If your hometown is as good as heaven, it ought to be something you ought to be a little familiar with. Somebody tell me something about your hometown. Just call it out loud. Jesus goes there. Jesus lives there. That's a pretty 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 notable uh, celebrity that lives in heaven with me is Jesus. That's really good. Somebody else. It's got streets of gold. Street, the streets are paved with gold. That is the weirdest thing to me. There's no tears. You're getting ahead of me. You're getting ahead. Hang on to that. There's no tears. What else is in heaven? Yeah, there's some awesome gates. There's some awesome gates. The gates are made out of, anybody remember? There's 12 of them. And they're part of the city. There's 12 gates that are made out of pearls. Each gate is single. That's a big old clam, by the way. Or a little tiny door, one of them. 
There's 12 gates. And the gates are never closed. Why do you close the gates of a city? If you're in a fortified city, it's our hometown. You, you close it because there's danger, right? The gates are never closed. Anybody remember what's standing by the gate? That's your hometown. You already know these things. There's an angel standing by the gate. He's just there to say he's the Walmart greeter of heaven. Okay? Maybe a lot better than Walmart greeters. He's just there to greet you, coming in and out. There's no danger at all. By the way, we always picture angels being these quaint little, beautiful, usually girls. In the Bible, they're never, they're never girls. Okay? They're really bad. They're bad boys. You don't mess with angels. Angels are tough. So at every gate, there's this angel just standing there. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Yeah. When are you going back? I don't know. I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm going to go walk around the crystal sea. Right? What might I do when I'm at the sea? I might just go fishing because I bet Peter the fisherman, third generation fisherman, I bet you he knows where the best fish on the sea are. I guarantee he does. I guarantee my brother Liam's already got in his boat a few times and caught a bunch of pan, hand-sized, hand-sized uh, pan fish, right? Brim. My brother's favorite thing is a hand-sized brim. And he's a fisherman. I guarantee you my brother's already been on that sea fishing. Guarantee that's my hometown. Now the walls of my hometown, the walls are made out of jasper. That's the one I can always pronounce. It might be some pretty good. But then there's all these other cool stones. You might say the other ones I used to think it was phonics, but it's not phonics. Phonics is onyx is one. That's the onyx and sapphires and rubies and all the gems. The walls of my hometown. Listen to me. Walls of my hometown. They're made out of all these cool stones, right? And so I'm going to go for a walk on my way, to walk, talk to my angel on the way out the gate that I like. And I'm going to go for a walk down the Crystal Sea, do a little fishing, and I'm coming back. I turn around and I look back at my city, where I live, it's my hometown. And there's, the Bible says there's no light in the city. There's no need for light because who? Jesus is the light. He's in the city, right? Now, he's inside that city, and he is the light. And I get to look back at my city that's walls are made out of, the foundation walls are made out of all those gemstones. Do you think that's not the most amazing? I get chill mumps just thinking about looking back at my city and seeing G the light of Jesus come through all those stones that we think are so precious, and he just made a wall out of them. And can you imagine how beautiful the city of God really is? I'm a citizen there, man. My passport's stamped by Jesus. It's stamped in his blood. That's my hometown. And I get to go right back and it says, he dwells there. He dwells there with me. I want you to read, hear Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 21. This is where everybody beat me to that. I've already been there. Keep going. Here we go. Then I saw a new heaven, John writes. John having his visions of, of the revelation. John the Revelator having his visions on the Isle of Patmos. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heavens and the first one passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from God, from the throne of God, saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is among men. He will dwell among them. Here it is. He'll wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no longer any death. 
longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. I want you to just stop right there. I've been telling you forever, all month long, he came to fix it all. Everything that's broken. He came to fix everything that's broken. And he's going to fix it one day permanently, by the way. It will not ever be broken again. It's a permanent fixture. And in that, there's no, no suffering or pain. Right? For these words are faithful, Jesus says. Uh, and then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. That's what he tried to tell the Samaritan woman multiple times. Aren't you thirsty? He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God. And he, Sam, will be my son. But then he says, but for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers and the immoral person, the sorcerers, idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jesus came to make all things new. He fixes all broken things. His temporal fix, while you're here on this earth with the sin nature, is to give you an abundant life through your sin nature, through the Holy Spirit, not through, through your sin nature, abundant life through the Holy Spirit to overcome your sin nature. His permanent eternal help is that He's going to help you overcome sin and death. So He's the greatest fixer of all. He repairs our earthly living conditions by overcoming the power of sin. Here's the eternal condition of overcoming the power of the grave. He's already done all that for you. Because like my son Caleb said all those years ago about his dad, it wasn't really true. It's just an imagination of a little kid. He's the greatest picture of everything. He can fix anything. You know, you can put your arm around any person you know. Any person you know. I've done it two times in the last two weeks. I put my arm around somebody that was in a mess. I mean a giant mess, mess, mess. I said, listen, I know somebody that can fix all of this. He can fix anything that's broken, no matter how big the mess. You have to submit to him. You have to turn your stuff over to him. We sang that song, lay down your burdens. Lay down your hurts. You have to turn it all over to him so that he can make it all new. But he'll carry it over to that. Amen?